Kia ora koutou and welcome to Insight, I'm Teresa Cowie. The country's housing crisis has attracted much attention for the Labour-led government since it took office last year. From extending the Bright Line test to promising to build 100,000 homes in the next decade, housing's been a key focus for the coalition. But one measure has left a sour taste in the mouths of many, the proposed foreign buyers ban. Nowhere has opposition to the proposal to shut foreigners out of New Zealand's residential property market been more vocal than in Queenstown. In this week's Insight, Timothy Brown explores the motivations behind the legislation, the effects it's already having and what opponents fear it means for the future. Deep away in the south of New Zealand lies a 52-mile stretch of blue water. Mountains crowd it close and trees line its shores. This is the long lake the Māori's called Wakatipu. Sheep farmers came here first looking for pasture, then the adventurers in search of gold, then finally the tourists. Queenstown grew on an arm of the lake, and today it welcomes those seeking something else, beauty and a holiday. Queenstown is no longer the sleepy village dotted with batches alluded to in that travel documentary from the 1950s. Now a thriving tourist resort throughout winter and summer, the influence of the foreign dollar can be seen everywhere. It is only natural to be envious of the wealthy and the high-end homes which dot the lakeside where batches used to stand act as monuments to a life most of us can only imagine. Wealth is often viewed with suspicion and no money is more suspicious than foreign money. I'm here on the shores of Lake Wakatipu to investigate the influence of foreign capital on the Queenstown Lakes housing market. The government claims foreign buyers are pushing up house prices and pushing Kiwis out of the country's home. But is it borne out in reality? And what draws these wealthy buyers to the area and New Zealand? To answer that question, I'm taking insight on the road to Glenorchy, where foreign capital has paved the way for a new future for the town with no expectation of financial benefit. American millionaires Paul and Debbie Brainerd made their fortune thanks to the IT revolution, and they have spent it on philanthropic causes which are revolutionary in other ways. The couple, who call Seattle home, bought what was Glenorchy's rundown camping ground and general store in 2014. As I pull into the camp's driveway, it's clear they've since pumped millions of dollars into transforming the property. Paul and Debbie Brainard um, are the, the funders of all of this. There's no intent for them to have any commercial payback. All the benefits and all the profits from the business here actually go back into a community trust. It's run by locals and they no longer have any um, direct ownership in, in, the, in the business itself. So they're still involved in, in the operational side of it, but they've... Um, they no longer own any of the, of the assets even. That's Steve Hewlin, who works for the Brainerds as the camp's general manager of projects. Well, let's go for a walk. So one of, the, um, one of the big aspects of the project here that's outside of the infrastructure is the beauty. And you can see that um, what we've created here is something that fits into the Glenorchy landscape and the, and the Glenorchy um, culture. Mr Hewland, who oversaw construction of the site on behalf of the Brainerds, showed me around the facility, now known as Camp Glenorchy. The scale of what is being attempted is as impressive as the design itself. 
Camp Glenorchy is a zero-energy accommodation provider complete with a garden of solar panels, composting toilets and heavy use of recycled materials. The beautiful lush green space is also dotted with gravel and tussock gardens, which recycle the facility's grey water, allowing it to be used for irrigation. Mr Hewland says the only thing the brainers want in return is to provide an example of what is possible. Cost wasn't the um, main factor in our decision making, it was about what was the best outcome for the environment and the community and our guests. No one in their right mind would have done all of this um, for a commercial payback. So they've gone much further and beyond the intent to get a commercial payback um, because it's a philanthropic effort to demonstrate to people what can be done. The Brainerds are private people and chose not to speak to Insight. However, they are not New Zealand residents and are the sort of people who will be affected by the government's legislation. People which Queenstown-based rich lister Sir Eon Edgar says give so much more to the country than they take. The impact of foreigners' investment has been extremely positive. So I think it's a tragedy they're being disadvantaged and I think New Zealand will be the poorer for it. Sir Eon spoke to Insight from his home on the shores of Lake Wakatipu. His home looks across the lake into the hills which in recent decades have become packed with homes and are still bustling with ongoing development. He has seen the change foreign capital has brought and points to Arrowtown's luxury Millbrook Resort as bringing a lot of good to the area. Many other businesses in New Zealand, uh, New Zealand and Queenstown in particular, wouldn't have got off the ground without that foreign investment. And Millbrook's an amazing example the amount of money the Ishi family and the people, other foreign investors before him, poured in to what's now one of the great resorts which both New Zealanders and overseas people enjoy and benefit from. Has there been some sour effects to that investment, i.e. the, the Joe Bloggs mum and dad's being priced out of their own backyard? Has that been a consequence of foreign investment? I don't think it has because... The investors, the foreign investors that have been in Queenstown have all been invested well above the sort of uh, first housing type. In most cases, they would be, in almost all cases, above 10 million. So I don't think first home buyers are in that division. And in fact, I think, if anything, they've added value because it's obviously created more work for the community, builders... You know, and when they do build, they tend to be using local services all the time. So the Queenstown economy has benefited significantly from these people being around, utilising the places and utilising local labour and services. Finding quote-unquote wealthy foreigners to talk on the record was fraught. High-profile foreign residents such as Matt Lauer and Peter Teal have kept mum following media coverage surrounding their presence, or lack thereof, in New Zealand. Those such as the Brainerds and others approached by Insight did not want to weigh in on what they believed was a political matter for New Zealanders to debate. But thanks to Sir Eon's contacts, Insight was able to track down Phil Griffith, the millionaire American owner of Gibson Valley Wines. Mr Griffith spoke to me from his home in Lake Tahoe in the Sierra Nevada mountains which straddle Nevada and California. I came there as a tourist. I came later as a, to visit friends, and then eventually I fell in love with the country and fell in love with the investment opportunities, and, and here I am uh, 30-some years later, having invested, I don't know, probably $50 million in the company, country, let's say. So I think I'm kind of the, 
poster child for what I think New Zealand ought to be looking for. And I'm not the only one. I mean, I have good friends, Tom Tesher that owns Blanket Bay, uh, Rick Kane that owns all the new golf courses up north and Jack's Point. Uh, those guys are all friends of mine. Uh, they, they've come for the same reasons. I talk to them all the time. And uh, they're just like me. They're, they're frustrated. They love New Zealand. They've been putting money in there for years. And uh, we feel like the, kind of the game has changed. Mr Griffith first came to New Zealand in 1988. He made his first investment into Gibson Valley Wines in 1992, but he is not a permanent resident and will be subject to the provisions of the foreign buyer ban, despite his long association and large investment in New Zealand. He says he's not alone in feeling frustration about the legislation, which has received negative press throughout the world. When this first was introduced, this was worldwide news. New Zealand maybe thinks that nobody pays attention to this stuff, but this, I must have had 10 phone calls from people saying, what's going on in New Zealand? They don't want anybody there. They don't want foreigners. They don't want investors. I had all kinds of people call me from all over around that I know who read this in the international news. Because when you, a, company, a country puts out the news that, and I know this isn't correct, but, you know, you're not welcome. And I, I tell you, that's, that image is out there now. It's just part of the image of Las Vegas now. People will say, well, aren't they the country that doesn't want anybody down there? And it's obviously not correct, but it's, it's, everything is perception in the world. The introduction of the legislation has already affected his appetite for residential investment. Ground was recently broken on a $25 million redevelopment of Gibson Valley Station, but plans for residential development of the area are up in the air, as Mr Griffith is unsure if he will be able to secure buyers for homes if the foreign buyer ban passes into law. This bill implements the government's commitment to ban overseas buyers from purchasing existing New Zealand homes. The but Associate Finance Minister David Parker, the MP in charge of the Overseas Investment Amendment Bill, colloquially known as the Foreign Buyer Ban, has little sympathy for wealthy buyers affected by the legislation. He stands by his assertion that the numbers show foreign investors are driving up housing prices, particularly in central Auckland and Queenstown. In 2015, Labor released their leaked housing data suggesting 39.5% of homes sold in Auckland were going to people of Chinese descent. It was a clumsy attempt to show the extent of foreign buyers in the market. We will never know the true scale of foreign ownership at the time, as numbers were not kept then, but Mr Parker believes it's still an issue. Our best homes and farms should be purchased by our most successful New Zealanders. And our most modest homes should also be purchased New Zealanders so that as many New Zealanders as possible have a chance to achieve the Kiwi dream of home ownership. I spoke to David Parker from Parliament last week. He defended the intent of the bill. We believe that it's the right of New Zealanders to buy our homes, not uh, foreign buyers, uh, and that we should have a market that's determined by New Zealand buyers, not uh, rich people from overseas. But being able to buy the houses and, and the houses being affordable are two different matters. So can you talk about the mechanism of this bill that actually positively affects housing affordability here? Well, in respect of uh, high-end houses, uh, which is um, one end of the spectrum, uh, a foreign buyer won't be able to outbid a successful New Zealand uh, for you know a beautiful house in the Bay of Islands or around a southern lake. Um, but that's true all of the way down the spectrum, and no existing house and no existing apartment will be able to be purchased by a foreign buyer. But the bill contains carve-outs for Australian and Singaporean residents. There are also other carve-outs related to apartments, new rentals and rent-to-own schemes. 
But one particular exemption sought by Clutha Southland MP Hamish Walker was slapped down by the government. Mr Walker sought a carve-out for high-end homes in Queenstown Lakes to allow for liquidity of that unique market and to allow people like the Brainerds to continue to come to the area. But Mr Parker is unimpressed. I would uh, describe the claim by the National Party member for Clutha wanting to exempt rich people from this as morally bankrupt. You know, we've got a real problem with home ownership and the affordability for New Zealanders to live in Queenstown. And his answer is to exempt uh, really super wealthy people from these restrictions. Actually, what we want is to uh, to be causing the building supply to be um, uh, tilted towards affordable homes, not multi-million dollar mansions for overseas people who only live in them a week or two a year. The numbers, which Mr Parker claims prove the extent of the problem, show 2.7% of homes were sold to foreigners in the year to March. It's estimated a third of those are Australians. And while New Zealand's least affordable areas to live, Auckland and Queenstown, have the highest rates of foreign buyers, a report delivered to the Nelson City Council earlier this year suggested affordability was as much an issue in that city as it was in Auckland. Only 1.1% of Nelson's homes went to foreign buyers in the last year. Mr Parker has this to say about the statistics. There's no doubt that at the margin a decrease in uh, demand for existing homes born of the fact that you've got a smaller pool of buyers able to bid for them because you haven't got foreign buyers in the mix must be having a price effect. How large a price effect it's hard to tell uh, but we maintain the view that in a world with concentration of wealth uh, just getting worse every year around the world that you shouldn't have one percenters from overseas outbidding New Zealanders for what is ours. His last statement that wealthy foreigners are taking our homes sums up what many critics like least about this bill, that it's rooted in xenophobia and populism, not hard evidence. The most effective way of dealing with uh, housing uh, affordability issues is to increase the supply of housing. Everything uh, that this government is doing so far overall uh, is actually likely to exacerbate the issue and, and simply demonising uh, foreign buyers as being the, the root cause of the problem here is, is not right and is not supported by evidence and could actually make the problem of housing supply worse. That's National's finance spokesperson Amy Adams, who says the government's legislation is focused on the wrong areas. Everyone across the political spectrum, I think, accepts there is a, a problem with affordability, particularly in Queenstown and Auckland, and, and the latest data seems to suggest... Yeah. Nelson Tasman as well, but is there a problem yeah. of of too many foreign buyers in the market? Is that in itself an issue? Well, look, that's just not what the data is telling us. So the it was, it was the national government that put in place the ability to, to measure and track exactly how many uh, foreign buyers there were. You know, we had the, the scare tactics from Phil Twyford wanting to blame everyone with a Chinese-sounding surname. Actually, what the data tells us is that regularly for, for quite some period across the country, uh, there's around 3% of residential property buyers that are have some component of, of foreign ownership in them. But when you look at the number of, of uh, houses being sold, sold by foreign buyers, the last data is at around 1.5%. So you're looking at uh, around 1.8 to 2% of net uh, foreign buyers. It's a very, very small proportion. But you have to, uh, you have to look at whether, in fact, uh, you know, turning away foreign investors and, and, and foreign developers is actually going to have a more detrimental effect on growing the housing supply in New Zealand. Because as I've said, it's not, the issue is not solved by trying to limit demand. The issue is solved by massively focusing on increasing supply. 
She says the bill has already had unintended consequences. Since Labor has come in and announced its intention to ban foreign buyers of residential properties, what you have seen is a whole lot of uh, foreign buyers in certain markets, and notably Queenstown and, and central Auckland, looking to get in ahead of that. Ms Adams says the consequences won't stop there if the bill is implemented. She says the constraints on foreign capital will result in fewer houses being built, and she's not alone in that estimation. This stream runs adjacent to the offices of the Queenstown Lakes District Council. The building itself backs onto the greenery of the Recreational Reserve and looks across to the stunning landscape of the Ben Lomond Scenic Reserve. Gondolas work their way up the hillside and surrounding the building is a panorama of hills and mountains. Paradise, if you will. But never far away from mingling with that soundtrack of water and birds is the percussion of construction. Queenstown Lakes District Mayor Jim Bolt fears the foreign buyer ban may slow the tempo of the beat of development. The foreign buyers that we have coming into our district don't buy mum and pop houses um, in the suburbs. They're building or buying very large high value properties that provide lots of jobs, provide work for uh, tradespeople and uh, those foreign buyers who come in here not only end up with an expensive property, but they're generally the people who are first to put their hands in their pockets uh, when we're looking for money for philanthropic reasons. When the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee was thrashing out the details of the foreign buyer bill, the Queenstown Lakes District Council implored it to allow for a carve-out for high-end properties in the district. The council also wants a tariff on houses bought by foreign buyers, which would go to the Affordable Houses Trust in the district where the home was bought. Both measures have been rejected. I know this piece of legislation is aimed at trying to address affordability of housing. My own view is it won't make any difference at all. I think the flush of um, foreign buyers buying residences in ordinary suburbs has gone. Um, all we're doing is annoying a valuable uh, international commodity that we have in our district. Mr Bolt says the Overseas Investment Amendment Bill is attempting to solve a problem which has already been solved. So this problem was around three or four or five years ago. Uh, it's not there now and uh, the legislation simply isn't required. Cards on the table, the problem existed in Auckland and um, a problem uh, existing in Auckland has had a, um, a solution put upon the whole of New Zealand to, to address it. Now, I think it's manifestly unfair. He says the introduction of the bill has already affected the supply of affordable housing in the district. The Mayor says plans for a shared equity housing development have fallen over because its foreign backers have been scared off by the legislation. It was merely a sentiment that this piece of legislation has been put in place, scared them off. Right, so is that, is that now on, on a knife edge? That, that... that particular deal is dead. Um, but we are working on getting a replacement for, um, for that particular fund and we've got a couple of irons in the fire in it and we may get it back together but it's disappointing that particular opportunity is off the table at the present time. Right, and it was, it was most definitely the legislation designed to increase affordability. That is... I've got a letter from the folk telling me exactly that. Uh, the irony is that um, legislation aimed at making it easier uh, for folk to get into a house, in this case, has caused 50 uh, uh, available houses um, not to be available anymore.
The executive officer of the Queenstown Lakes Community Housing Trust, Julie Scott, says the development would have been an innovative way of getting first home buyers into their own properties. It's a new program being proposed whereby the investors from overseas would come in and purchase the land and house, so they would purchase the property and then they would grant a licence to occupy to the either the household or to us, the trust, for 10 years, and so we would pay an interest on that licence to occupy for 10 years, and at the end of 10 years we would we or the household would purchase the properties off the investors. So they're really investing for a 10-year period and then they take their money back. The development was to be backed by European pension funds, which held social objectives alongside a desire for profit, investment funds which are not readily available in New Zealand. Ms Scott says the negotiations began about a year ago, before the foreign buyer ban was announced. They came to us at the same time as the Housing Affordability Task Force started up, so it's actually probably 12 months ago, and um, we've been working with them closely. Unfortunately, because of the proposed changes a couple of months ago, the project got shelved with them um, and we've had to find alternative funding for the 50 units that we're purchasing at Remarkables Park. But we do hope that with these new changes to the legislation that we will be able to get through. So you're saying the bill that was designed to increase the supply of housing, affordable houses has in fact had the opposite effect for your trust? For, for our trust and for the projects we were looking at, yes. Now the project is just hanging on, even with the concession allowed for in the bill following select committee. So where to, in terms of salvaging this project, are you still dealing with the original uh, proposed investors? or? Yeah, so we're actually I'm waiting for a call from one of them this afternoon to try and talk to them and how, what their perspective is on these recent, this recent legislation um, and if it can be salvaged, the project, and if not, then we... Um, uh, we're stuck with more traditional methods of financing, which is the traditional banks, which is not as an attractive option for us. The interest rates are higher, the terms and conditions around it are much stricter for us, mm. more challenging. That chilling effect of, of the, the introduction of the bill that, that led to this project being shelved, was that almost instantaneous? Uh, was it the moment that, that they got word of what was happening here? That yeah, it probably was. It, was, it happened pretty quickly. Right, yep. so they got cold feet yep, very, very quickly. quickly. Yep. Luxury Real Estate's director, Nick Horton, says there will be chilling side effects for the high-end real estate market in the Wakatipu Basin. Once you get past a, a bracket of price levels that New Zealanders are prepared to spend on secondary homes, um, the only market left are those internationals. And big markets for a, a very high-end property would be people from China and Russia and the US, so with those markets completely taken away, uh, then there's certainly going to be a lot of effect. And those investors have come in good faith and been able to purchase property and land in New Zealand and then spent sometimes 10 to 20 million on construction, which they've paid tax on and employed new Kiwis to, to build, uh, and now are being told that there's no market for the for the asset that they've been allowed to build. So there's certainly a, uh, a very negative stigma towards the new policy from, from anyone that falls into that bracket, both sellers and purchasers. Mr Horton says he has seen the change in sentiment from foreign investors towards New Zealand since the legislation was introduced, which is unhelpful when foreign capital can help solve the affordability crisis.
There might be a few loopholes, but effectively we're saying to international investors, you're not welcome here. We don't want your input and we don't want you to be a part of New Zealand. Then it's not a very good sign to um, uh, encourage people to come and, and be a part of our culture and our community. So, um, you know, effectively we're not, we're, we're saying we've got a problem, but we're refusing help. Elliot Goldman is a Queenstown lawyer who specialises in property, business and immigration law. He's noticed another unintended consequence of introducing the legislation. What I think has literally happened right now is it's, it's, if anything, created more activity because people are obviously worried about what the effects are and so they're um, wanting to purchase properties before the, um, the restrictions come in place. His assertions are backed up by the statistics. The percentage of foreign buyers has ramped up across New Zealand since the bill was introduced, particularly in Auckland and Queenstown. So all of this begs the question, is the Overseas Investment Amendment Bill going to work? Economist Shamabil Jakob of Sense Partners says the bill could be worse. The issue of foreign buyers is still a bit of a red herring. They are a marginal player in the market. In certain parts of New Zealand, they're bigger than others. But banning foreign buyers is not going to solve our housing crisis, particularly when it comes to things like housing supply, in that we're not going to build any more homes. So I think the intent of the policy is not quite right. But if we have to have this policy, then the changes and amendments that we have seen go some way to alleviating some of my concerns. In particular, I think the way that the initial policy was designed, it was we're going to make it very difficult to access funding to actually build apartments, medium and high density housing, for developers to access capital. And that would have actually made things worse for developers than the regime that we had before. So to me, it seems like it's a less bad policy than what we started with. A less bad policy. Hardly a ringing endorsement of the legislation. So if those at the coalface say it won't work, and what it will do is sour relations with the foreign investors who can provide the capital to build large-scale developments, and in the short term, it's increasing the rate of foreign ownership, what is the purpose of the policy? In some ways, I think, without having that very strong evidence that it is foreign buyers that are creating this property bubble, it's almost like this policy is a solution in search of a problem. A solution which critics say will score political points, but do little to get everyday New Zealanders into their own homes. That programme was written and presented by Timothy Brown with technical production by Mark Chesterman. You can explore and listen to other insights from our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week I take a look at New Zealand's growing competitive video game industry. I'm Teresa Cowie and that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next week. Listener.